0: Amen, I'm glad that you're here today as well and I believe that today is an exciting day and I hope that you'll be encouraged and challenged by what God shares in our time together today. If you have your Bibles, I'm gonna ask you to take them this morning and open them with me to John chapter 13 for this morning's message and for our time together today, John chapter 13. As we open God's word today, over the last several weeks, we've been observing and really celebrating many unique occasions, things that we've been able to celebrate and to enjoy together. Several weeks ago now, we had the Lord's Supper as we took the bread and the cup and we remembered the fact that Jesus gave his life on the cross for us at Calvary. Then the following Sunday, we had a glorious celebration as we came together and we celebrated on Easter Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the victory that we have today in him. The next Sunday, just last week, we came together where we observed baptisms as many people came forward in their faith publicly to say, yes, I have accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. My life is being lived for him. Well, today here at Crossland, we also have a special celebration, and that is that at the end of this service together, we are going to commission several new deacons here at Crossland Community Church. By definition, the word deacon in the New Testament literally means a minister or a servant. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, we find that not only is an an elder an officer in the local church, but there's also a role of a deacon. A deacon is one who is filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with wisdom, one who is of good reputation, who is being commissioned and set apart in the context of the local church specifically to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, we're going to observe that, we're going to celebrate that, and celebrate what God is doing here at Crosslink. But I want to remind us today, as we commission these new deacons, of something very important. In the context of the local church, it is not only the deacons who serve the Lord. The fact of the matter is, the Bible tells us there are some in the body of Christ who even have the gifts of service, the spiritual gift of helps, the Bible would describe it. These people are largely identified at times because you constantly see them working. They're constantly working and they're constantly doing and they find fulfillment in that because they are gifted in that. But did you know whether you are gifted in service or not, whether you are identified as an officer in the church or not, every single person who has been born again who knows Jesus as their Lord and Savior, every single person who has relationship with Jesus Christ, we all have been called to serve. And we see that loud and clear in John chapter 13. As we open God's word this morning, I want you to really consider and examine in your life. Are you serving Jesus Christ? And even in the context of the church today, If you are serving, does your service accurately reflect Jesus or does it reflect something different? John chapter 13, I want to ask ask you if you're able to stand to your feet for the reading of God's word. Where do we see this example of service? Shockingly, not really, we see this modeled by Jesus himself. What should our service in 2022 look like? Well, I'm glad you've asked. Listen to what the Bible says beginning in verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, listen to the statement, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, he knew all these things, but listen to verse 4. He got up from supper, laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, Peter, what I do you do not realize now, but you'll understand hereafter. Peter said to him, then never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, then Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. And for this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. Verse 12. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, wash your feet, listen to this, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for the authority of your word and the example of Jesus. With that today, would you mold us? Would you shape us? Would you convict us and change us, I pray, that we might be more like Jesus today? I pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. you. may be seated this morning. This morning as we look at this passage scripture in John 13, I want to preach to you on the subject, more like Jesus, more like Jesus. I want to begin this morning by asking you a very simple question. That question is this, have you ever wanted to be like someone else? Have you ever in your life wanted to be like someone else? When I think of that question, my mind goes back to my childhood and probably about the time of eight, nine years old, something like that, I remember being a baseball player. I loved baseball. And specifically, I'd normally played the infield and that's probably because I couldn't run very fast in the outfield, but I played the infield as a child. And I remember at eight or nine years old, all of a sudden, there was a series of professional baseball players, uh, infielders, shortstops, and third basemen, and second basemen that began to have a common trend, and that is they began to use a black baseball glove. And I remember at the, as an eight or nine year old thinking to myself, you know what? If I too had a black baseball glove, I could be just like those professional athletes like Eddie Murray and Ryan Sandberg and, and, and Cal Ripken Jr. If I just had a black baseball glove, I would be just like them. Shortly after that, I remember an athlete coming along by the name of Dion Sanders, Neon Dion. And I have no idea in my redneck roots in South Alabama why this was cool to me, but I remember all the bling, all the chains that he had. And he was so fast as he would run around the bases. The bling would just bounce off his chest. And I thought, you know what? If I have gold chains like that, I'm gonna be just as fast as Neon Dion, okay? And then of course, at that same time, Gatorade took it to a whole new level because there was this this little basketball player by the name of Michael Jordan. I don't know if you've heard of him or not. But so common and so good was he and so common was the idea of wanting to be like someone that they jumped on that, so to speak, and their slogan became, like Mike, if I could be like Mike. I don't know if you, I still remember the tune, I want to be, I want to be like Mike. You know, was like, oh yeah, I like that, that's cool, right? I convinced myself as a child, if I just had these things, I could be like them. And I went through those fads and I suddenly, of course, eventually got old enough where I realized no matter how many black baseball gloves I bought, I was never gonna be the next Kyle Ripken Jr. No matter how many gold chains I had, I know that's a funny thought to see me wearing that probably, I wasn't gonna be Neon Dion. And no matter what kind of shoes I wore, I was not going to be Michael Jordan. I'm still trying to accept it, but I'll get there, okay? (laughs) But did you know, for a Christian, we never outgrow the stage of wanting to be like someone. In fact, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, it not only means that we've been forgiven and we've been saved, we've been washed clean from our sins, but it means that God today is still through the Holy Spirit working in us and working on us to mold us and to shape us to be more like Jesus. In other words, it's our lifelong mission and God's lifelong work in us until he calls us to glory, that he's molding us every day and shaping us more and more to be just like Jesus Christ. Romans 8 verse 29 simply says it this way, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that, we, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. It is God's divine plan and purpose to mold us and to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. How does he do that? Second Corinthians chapter three, verse 18. We all with unveiled face, we are beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord and we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as from the Lord through the Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit is working within us today to transform us and to make us more and more like Jesus. There are many ways that the Holy Spirit works in us and on us to make us more like Jesus, but one of the practical ways that he does that is through the action of serving. You've often heard me say it here in the context of ministry over these past almost six years that you are never more like Christ than when sacrificially giving yourself for the glory of God and the good of others. When we humble ourselves and we seriously serve the Lord, God uses that to not only build his church and not only uses that to build up the church, but he uses that to mold us and to shape us. Here in John chapter 13, Jesus shows us clearly what serving is all about. And my hope and prayer today is for us is that we will really examine, am I following Jesus's example? When people look at me, and specifically in the way that I serve, do they see Jesus? There's four things about this call to service in John 13 that I believe God wants us to see in our time together today. Four simple things. If you're still with me, would you say, all right? right. Number one, I want you to see the priority of serving. The priority of serving. Serving the will of the Father and even the good of the disciples was not an afterthought for Jesus Christ. Here in John 13, as he came into the upper room, this was not a circumstance. He just happened to walk into this moment of opportunity, if you will. Serving was a direct priority for Jesus Christ in all that he did. Jesus would save himself in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus saying loud and clear in that context, he came to serve. That was his clear priority. One of the major reasons that sometimes we struggle with serving today, we struggle with serving in the local church, we, serve perhaps with, we struggle with serving in the context of the community is because that we do not have the same sense of priority that Jesus had. Jesus lived constantly attuned with the Father's will, constantly attuned with the Father's plan, constantly attuned with the Father's timing. And as a result, he made it a priority in everything he did. In fact, I would say to us, everything that he did in the context of his life was done as an act of service. And yet we struggle with that. We struggle with that. We often struggle to serve when it's not easy. We often struggle to serve when it's not convenient. We often struggle to serve when we don't see the immediate reward or the immediate benefits. Why? Not because there's an issue there, but because of our lack of priority. Jesus served as a priority. I want us to see that in three ways. First off, I want us to see it in his message. Now, this is not directly in the text, but it's the background of everything leading up to this moment. Jesus has consistently been giving the same message to his disciples about service and about sacrifice. And what I want us to see loud and clear is this, Jesus' message and his modeling of it was never inconsistent. Maybe you remember last week I made the important statement about how our communication is so important. And it's, it's important that we say the right things, but it's also important that we demonstrate what we're saying. Last week, I gave the illustration about taking your cell phone and going for 24 hours and sending every text through the voice app and seeing if your communication gets off at all. Did anybody do that at all? Maybe a few of you. I was reminded of that this week of how quickly our messaging can be inconsistent and can be be confusing by one of our staff members who shall remain nameless for the sake of this illustration. Our staff member sent me a text message the other day and said, hey, Pastor Matthew, I got your message. I'll be back to you later. That was the voice app text. But when it came to me, he did not say the word message. It said, Pastor Matthew, I got your massage. I'll be back to you later. It's like, whoa, time out. That'll start some crazy rumors, man. You better fix that, right? Jesus' message and his method was never inconsistent. What was his message? His message was one of sacrifice and of service. Mark chapter eight, verse 34, the Bible says, he summoned the crowd with his disciples and he said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must, key word, deny himself. The world says, promote yourself, live for yourself. What's in it for me? Jesus says, deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels, he will save it. His disciples heard that. But just like us, just because we hear it doesn't mean that we get it. Two chapters later in the gospel of Mark, James and John are having a debate they want to know, Jesus, we, when we get to heaven, can we sit at your right hand and your left hand? Then a debate begins amongst all the disciples. Who's gonna be the greatest in the kingdom of God? Who's gonna be, oh, I'm gonna have my position. I'm gonna have my power. I'm gonna have my authority. I'm gonna have my title, my wealth. I'm gonna be the boss of all you guys. And Jesus says, hold up. Listen to what he said in Mark chapter 10. You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your, what's the next word? Servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. Man, we don't like that word today. That's not politically correct today. But what Jesus is saying is this. The key to greatness in the kingdom of God is not found in your power, your position, your wealth, your education, your being the boss, you calling the shots. No, no, no. The key to influence, the key to greatness in God's kingdom is found in humbling ourselves to be a servant and a slave to all. That's the message of Jesus. But secondly, we see this priority of service through his mission. Notice what he says here in John chapter 13, verse one. Before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knowing, listen to the statement, that his hour had come that he would depart out of this world to the Father. What was Jesus' mission? He's already told us. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. John three seventeen simply says it this way. God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Jesus knew as he left the throne of heaven to come to this fallen world that he was coming with an express mission. That mission was not to be praised and applauded here on this earth, not to have people bow to him here on this earth, but to come and literally to lay down his life for the sins of the world. And that's why John, the disciple, gives more emphasis than any of the other disciples to this simple fact. The entirety of Jesus's earthly life, he was constantly aware of his hour. What's he talking about? He's talking about the hour of his death, the hour of him laying down his life. In John chapter two, Mary is approaching Jesus and the Bible says that Jesus told his mother, literally his mother, my hour has not yet come. John chapter seven, John chapter seven, verse 30 and chapter eight, verse 20, the Jews are trying to arrest him. They're trying to take him out of the scene early on, but the Bible says they could not because his hour had not yet come. Here in John 13, Jesus in the upper room, here's what he's realizing. The reason for my mission, the reason that I came to this world to lay down my life for the sins of all mankind, guess what? My hour. Has come. Let me ask you a question. Jesus, in this moment, is less than 24 hours away from the cross. This very night, he's going to be arrested. He's going to be illegally tried. He's going to be falsely accused. This very night, all these things are going to unfold. What would you do if you knew you had less than 24 hours of freedom? What would you do today when you leave here if you knew that you were gonna be arrested and by this time tomorrow, your life would be over? Be honest, in our culture, we'd write a country music song about skydiving and Rocky Mountain climbing and bull riding, right? Because we would say, hey, man, I've only got so much time. I'm gonna live for myself. I'm gonna do something good. I'm gonna do something wonderful. I'm gonna make it the best it's ever been for me. What does Jesus do? Jesus takes a towel and a basin of water and begins to wash feet. The priority of serving is found even in this moment in his mission. Please understand, in this moment, even to the extent that Jesus would go to the cross, how does the Bible describe it? In Philippians chapter two, listen to what the Bible says. Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Even his death on the cross was simply seen as them doing an act of service. He was a bondservant fulfilling his mission. Please understand, that was Jesus's mission. But let me ask you, is it yours? Is it your mission to lay down your life in service to the Father? Is it your mission to lay down your life in service to those around you? It was clearly Jesus's. The third thing I want you to see is his motivation. Why would Jesus do this? Why in this moment, Jesus knowing he literally has hours before he's taken into custody, he has hours before he's crucified on a cross, he knows that his time has come, why in the world would he humble himself in such a way? Verse one answers the question, doesn't it? Listen to the statement, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world of the Father, listen to this, here's the key. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. How could Jesus do this? Why would Jesus do this? Here's the answer. Because he loved them. Jesus wasn't living his life for himself, for his own self-glory, for his own self-purposes. He was living his life in submission to God the Father, but also for the good of these he had been pouring his life into. He loved, them. the Bible says, even to the uttermost, even to the end. That word, the end, is not a reference to time. It's a reference to the extent to which Jesus was going to go, even in these final moments, to show them his love and care. John 15 verse 13 tells us that greater love has no one than this, than that he laid down his life for his friends. Just 24 hours later, Jesus was gonna die on the cross. But even before that great sacrifice would come, here is a practical act of service where he's putting the needs of these disciples even before himself. How do we know it was love? Well, the Bible tells us, that's how. We also know it's love when we consider everything else about this moment. Jesus knew all that was going on in this moment. He knew that his hour had come. He knew that the Father had given all things into his hands. He knew that his name would be exalted. He knew that his time to be back when the Father in heaven was coming. He knew all these things, but also to remind you, he knew all the faults, flaws, and failures of the same people he was washing their feet. Think of that for just a moment. Jesus has already told Peter, this very night, you will deny me three times. Can you imagine the scene as Jesus is washing the feet of the disciples and all of a sudden he comes to Simon Peter? He knows that Peter's going to deny him. He knows that Peter's going to curse him. He knows that Peter's going to run in fear. And yet what does Jesus do? He washes his feet. Why? Because he loved him. Can can you imagine as Jesus then comes over to Thomas, Thomas, the one who's gonna doubt him, Thomas, the one who's gonna have such a hard heart and a stiff neck to eventually say, I will not believe in his resurrection unless I see the scars in his hands, unless I touch the scar on his side. He knows that Thomas will deny him. What does Jesus do? He just keeps washing. Can you imagine the moment that Jesus brings the towel and the basin of water over to a guy by the name of Judas. Jesus already knew that Satan had put it in Judas's heart. Jesus already knew that Judas was conspiring with the religious leaders of the day. He already knew it, and yet here he is. Why? Because he loved them even to the end. Can I just ask you a question? If Jesus is our Lord and Savior, and many of us say that he is, then why does our so-called love and service look so different than his? If our Lord and Savior, his message would be that he came not to be served, but to serve. His mission is that even in this moment, he's gonna give his best to them. His love and his motivation, he's gonna put their needs before his own. If that would be the Lord and Savior, how he lived, then shouldn't that also be true in the way that we live our lives today? The priority of serving. The second thing I want you to see is the picture of serving. Now remember, remember, Last week, we saw baptism was a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Several weeks prior to that, we looked at the Lord's Supper, the same passage of Scripture, where Jesus takes this normal Passover meal, and he really gives it a greater and deeper meaning as he takes the bread and he breaks it. He says, listen, this is a picture of my body that's broken for you. Take of the cup. This is a picture of the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you do it. And remember to me, it was a picture Well, here Jesus uses his actual physical actions as a picture of what practical service should look like. Now, please understand today, I'm not gonna pull out a bunch of basins of waters and towels and say, now turn around and wash each other's feet. But Jesus is giving us a simple picture of what practical service should look like in our lives. We can kind of imagine the scene as it unfolds. They're enjoying this supper, they're enjoying perhaps the fellowship and all that's taking place. And all of a sudden, Jesus gets up from the table. And, and then Jesus takes off his coat. I'm sure by now they're like, what's he doing? He's gonna do push-ups. No, that's not what he's doing. But And, and then he grabs a towel and he puts it around his waist. And then he, he grabs a basin of water. Maybe, maybe he's gonna wash his hands. What's going on? But then Jesus gets down low in this moment, he literally has the attention of all the disciples. They understand that there's something significant about to happen. He gives them a picture of what practical service. Looks like it is a picture first of humility. A picture of humility. Please understand for background that in that culture, when you were to arrive at a home, it was you were accustomed to having your feet washed. Many people in that day walked barefooted. Or the wealthiest of them had sandals, and just understand that means that as they walked through the streets and walked through the town, their feet were often dirty. They would come to a house. When they would enter the house as a guest, there would be someone there to wash their feet. In Jewish culture, it was always a servant who washed feet, and in Jewish culture, it was also a Gentile servant or slave who washed the feet. In other words, the Jews reserved the task of feet washing to the lowest servant in the house. As the disciples are entering this upper room, I'm sure somebody's thinking, man, who's gonna wash the feet? There's not a servant here. Is anybody gonna do this? Is anybody gonna wash? Our feet are dirty and we're about to have a meal. But the Bible says the elements are prepared. They go straight to the table. They begin to enjoy that, assuming everything's fine. But then Jesus The Lord and Savior, the King of Kings, he gets up from the table and begins to take the posture of a servant. I think we get a depiction of this humility when we consider the fact that the disciples have likely been debating in their mind why they shouldn't be the one to wash feet. Well, I I know somebody's got to wash the feet, but I I can't do that. that. That's not my task. I'm not a slave after all. I'm I'm not going to wash anybody's feet. That that task is below me. If I start washing those feet, they're going to always expect me to be the foot washer. I'm I'm not going to start washing feet right now because if I do that, they're going to laugh at me and mock at me. People are going to think I'm crazy. And yet Jesus in this moment gets up, puts off his coat, grabs a towel, grabs a basin of water and he basically gets low to their feet even below their eye level, as he begins to wash and he begins to cleanse and he begins to minister to them, what is he giving us? He's giving us a great picture of humility. How often we need to to look at tasks or to look at roles or look at needs and look at situations. We might even hear of opportunities. We might even be directly invited to be a part of something. And we might look at that and just say, that's not me. That's, That's not my role. That's not my need. That's not my burden. Somebody else can do that. Oh, you need help in children's ministry? Somebody else can do that. You need help in the nursery? Oh, that's not for me. Oh, you need help in the parking lot? No, 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 man, it's dusty and it's dirty and I'm gonna have to be here early and for crying out loud, it's my day off. I gotta sleep in, Right? There's so many different things that we can look at and we look at them in such a a negative way, but Jesus in this moment, he literally, the King of kings and Lord of lords humbles himself, gets up from his comfortable position, he humbles himself and begins washing the disciples' feet. In other words, he was the savior of the world, yet he took upon himself the simple role of a servant. What he demonstrates for us is the reality that oftentimes we are hindered from serving because of our lack of priorities, but another reason we're often hindered from serving is because of our pride. Our pride hinders us. Our pride gets in the way. Our pride becomes an obstacle. And that is why in Romans chapter 12, when we're given that instruction about spiritual gifts, Paul starts off in this way. He says, through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, listen to this, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in the body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another." His whole point is this, get rid of pride and put on humility. Just like Jesus walked in humility and served others, every one of us have a part to play. Every single one of us have a role to fulfill. Every single one of us has something to contribute, but you will not do that without humility. When I think of humility, my mind goes back to an illustration that I saw firsthand many years ago when I was in college. When I was at Liberty for a few years, I had the opportunity to travel on a ministry team. And in that ministry team, we'd be in different churches in different states just about every single weekend. And I remember on one specific trip, we were, it was like a spring break trip. We went down to Florida and, and, and on a given weekend of ministry, you didn't know one week if you'd be at a church with 50 people or the next week you'd be at a church with 5,000 people. There was just a lot of the kind of uh, variety, if you will, in that context. And when our team would go to a church, we would always stay in host homes. And so uh, that meant that somebody in the church would welcome you into their home and they'd provide you with a meal and a place to sleep. You might be on the floor, you might be on a couch, or you might be in the coolest bed you've ever seen in your life. It just, just how the ministry worked. And I remember this one particular trip that we went down out between Sarasota and Fort Myers, Florida. And I remember pulling up to this church and I remember the, uh, a lady and her son, she picked four of us up, that took us to their house. And I remember as soon as we pulled into this neighborhood, um, just kind of realizing like we were not in Kansas anymore, right? Like it was a very, very, very wealthy neighborhood. And I remember learning pretty quickly, just a few doors down, there was a, a house that had like a putting green in the front yard and I commented about it. And, and the lady said, oh, that's Greg Norman's house. If you know golf, Greg Norman's the shark. He's a well-known golfer. And I laughed. I thought it was a joke, but it wasn't. That was literally one of his houses. And so over the course of the weekend and talking with his family, I found out that the the man, her husband, back in the late 1970s, early 1980s, he invested in this little-known thing that became known at the time as the World Wide Web, Today, it's the internet, and then with the monies that he made over the next three or four years, he invested in a jewelry store and then another jewelry store, and today he owns an entire jewelry store chain. That's just the nature of this family. The Lord's blessed them very much financially. We went through the weekend in ministry, and in this particular church, they didn't have multiple services like we have here at Crosslink. They had one big service. And I remember it was this huge missions conference they'd been promoting. It was a big deal. And and frankly, it was probably one of the largest churches I ever sang in before. I mean, there were thousands and thousands and thousands. It was a huge church. And after the service, we all went to lunch together. And I remember sitting down with the the man. We were talking about different things. And I was like, man, did you enjoy the service today? He said, absolutely. It was amazing. It was so good to be in church today. I was like, man, that's awesome. And so then I asked the question. I said, well, what was your favorite part of the service? I was referring to what happened in the worship center to which he quickly responded and said, actually, I'm not really sure. I said, why is that? He said, well, I wasn't in there. And I said, you're kidding. You know, like, in my mind, I'm sitting here thinking like, this guy's this guy a boss of a whole lot of companies. He's probably the most wealthy person I've ever met in my life. What do you mean you weren't in there? He said, I was in the children's ministry. What 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 you were in the children's ministry on like the biggest day of the year for your church? You're kidding. He said, No, I'm right. sorry. He said, I serve in the children's ministry just about every single week. I said, you do? I was shocked. He said, absolutely. I said, if you don't mind me asking, why do you serve in the children? In my like immature mind, I kind of thought he was above that. To which he said to me, he said, Matthew, years ago, I had a major problem with pride. But God works for those children to remind me, no matter how others see me, I must always come to him like a child. I've never forgotten it. In fact, when we have children's ministry moments and opportunities of vacation, Bible school, and different things, I often think of my buddy just outside of Fort Myers, Florida. Pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying that I think the one that picked up a towel in the upper room would be looking at that businessman today and saying, well done, son, well done. It's a picture of humility, but it is also a picture of honor. Why, why is this practical service, why is it a picture of honor? Here's why. Because Jesus is not looking out for himself. Even in these final moments before he knows he's going to be crucified, what is he doing? He's looking at the needs of the disciples. He's looking not only at their physical need, but their spiritual need. And in this moment, he is honoring them by putting his, their needs above his own. Isn't it interesting that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, when Paul gives this long list of spiritual gifts and how we interact in the body of Christ, twice he begins to describe the way that we honor one another, the way that we show honor to every part, the way that we show honor to every gift, the way that we show honor to every role, the way we show honor to every opportunity. Why? Because he's wanting us to recognize it is not about us. It is about the glory of God and the good of others. And we demonstrate that through humility and by honoring others above ourselves. The key point in that entire passage of Scripture is that every member of the body of Christ is important. We all have a part to play, but we can't fulfill that part without honoring others over ourself. In other words, Jesus' example is showing us that we must remove all selfishness and show selflessness by putting the needs of others above our own. Number three, if you're still with me, would you say I am? I want you to see the power of serving I'm going to speak this point very quickly. But here's the gist of why I say the power of serving. Jesus is taking very simple things a towel. How many towels you got in your house? Probably more. Pretty, right? Simple thing. How quickly could you have a basin of water? Pretty quickly, right? It's a simple, common thing. But Jesus in this moment, he takes the towel and the basin of water. He begins washing the disciples' feet. But there is great power in this moment. When you and I serve the Lord and serve others, it stands out. It causes people to ask, why? Why, why, why are you doing this? Why are you acting so humbly? Why are you being so generous? Why are you sacrificially putting my needs above your own? Why? And within the question of why, God uses our practical acts of service as opportunities at times to share the gospel with people, at times to speak a word of spiritual truth into people's life, at times to invite them along with us that they might grow in the Lord, that they too might serve the Lord. Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. Now remember, the disciples have been with him now for the past three years. They've heard all of his teachings. They've seen his miracles. They've heard everything he's been doing. But in this moment, Jesus uses this act of practical service as a means of further discipleship, further growth and development, and further teaching for his disciples. Because when he comes to Simon Peter, verses 6 through 11, Peter says, Whoa, 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 Lord, why are you washing my feet? I, I should be washing yours. You're the king of kings. You're the Lord of lords. You're the savior. You, you don't need to wash my feet. And then Jesus says, Peter, if, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. Whoa. <laughs> well, if that's the case, Lord, then wash them on my feet. I mean, wash me from head to toe. I want to be completely yours. I want to be totally committed to you. And Jesus uses this as a means to teach Simon Peter a very important spiritual truth. I won't go into the details of that for time's sake right now. But basically what he tells Peter is this. Peter, if you've already been washed clean, you don't have to be cleaned all over again, just your feet. What he's describing is the fact that when you and I believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, when we trust in Christ and what he has done, the Bible says we are forgiven of our sins and we literally are cleansed from all of our unrighteousness. At the very moment of salvation, you're forgiven, saved, and washed clean. Hallelujah. Going to church won't wash you clean. Having a granddaddy that was a preacher won't wash you clean. Saying amen to the preacher, giving to the church, all these good, that's not going to wash you clean. Only faith in Jesus Christ will make you clean. But once we come to know Christ, we don't live in a vacuum. We still live in a fallen world. We still struggle with our old flesh. We don't always walk perfectly, so to speak. And when those times come that we stumble and we fall short, what do we do? The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What Jesus is doing is he's giving Peter a spiritual truth that he would never forget. Peter, just because you stumbled along the way doesn't mean you need to be saved and washed clean again. It just means that you need to confess your sin and turn from it. That's kind of the depiction of what Jesus is saying. But the reason I'm calling it the power of serving is this. This moment of spiritual truth of discipleship and development would not have occurred without Jesus' act of service. Jesus' practical act of service led to further growth and development of every single man at that table except Judas. And in the same way today, we need to understand that when we serve, God uses it powerfully in our lives to develop us and to grow us, but he also uses our acts of service in powerful ways to teach others and help others come to know him more. That's not going to happen without your serving. Fourth thing I want you to see this morning is this. I want you to see the prompting of serving. If you're still with me, would you say all right? The prompting of serving. We, we, we see the scene, right? Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. He comes with the final pair of feet. He washes those feet. He puts aside the basin of water. He probably takes the towel, folds it up, puts it aside. He gets up. He grabs his coat, puts it on, and goes and sits at the table. I just want to tell you, the room is pretty silent, I think the disciples are sitting there in a bit of amazement, stunned at what Jesus has just done. I imagine they're probably a little bit ashamed. Why hadn't they served him? Why hadn't they thought about his needs before their own? They're just sitting there, silent, taking it all in. And then Jesus asks the question, do you know what I've done to you? Please understand, he's not just talking now about the water and the towel and the feet. Do you know what I've done to you? You call me Lord and teacher, and that's true. I'm the Lord and I'm your teacher. But notice what he says in the following verses. If I then, the Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than this master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. Notice Jesus' exhortation. Here's the simple word of prompting. Guys, I haven't just washed your feet so that you're wowed by what I've done. Amazed by this act of service. Blessed by this generosity and this sacrifice. No, no, no. I've done this as an example for you. That as I have served you, even to the little minute task, the need of washing feet, that you would go and do the same to one another. Think of that for just a moment. This action is a call to lovingly care for others while recognizing that no task is too small and no need is too great. Jesus gave an example. Just as he left that position of comfort and ease at the table to take on the role of a servant, God's calling us to leave behind our comfort and take on the role of a servant. Just as Jesus removed his outer garment, that coat, that thing that would have hindered him from serving, he put it aside. God is calling us to put aside those things that would hinder us too from serving him. Just as Jesus showed mercy and served others who didn't deserve it, he's called us to show mercy and serve others the same. The exhortation is simple. Jesus says, If I'm your Lord and master, go and do likewise. Here's the question. Is Jesus your Lord? Is he your Savior? If he's not, he can be today. And if he is, we have a clear calling. Go and do likewise. But with that exhortation, I want you to see finally the great encouragement. I love how Jesus concludes this example, and this exhortation to serve others in the same way. Verse 17, if you know these things, you are blessed if you think about them. That's what Jesus said, right? You're blessed if you meditate on what I've said. You know, you're blessed, Christian, oh, you love this. You're blessed if you pray about it. That sounds really good, right? I mean, we're Christians, we pray about everything. You're blessed if you have a great planning meeting and plan out all the things you're gonna do. That's not what he says. If you know these things, you are blessed, he says, if you, what, do them. You know, it's interesting to me that a lot of times when people hear that word blessed, we think of it in the context of being happy. And frankly, in our culture, a lot of emphasis is given in the context of us being happy. We, we wanna do what makes us happy. The problem with that is oftentimes the things that we refer to in our happiness, frankly, are very selfish things. The word blessed here literally means, by its definition, it means to be enlarged or to be filled. In other words, a more accurate translation of that would be, you will be fulfilled. Fulfilled. In our world today, a lot of people, oh, I just, I just want to be happy. I want to do what makes me happy. But the problem with that is, oftentimes the things that make me happy are things that are not good for me, that are things that are not pleasing to the Lord, and certainly not things that represent Christ. <laughs> just this week, some old friends of ours from Christiansburg, a lady posted on social media this simple reality. She said, hey, I, I'm leaving my husband, I've met another man, and I am happier than I've ever been. And all the comments, you deserve to be happy, girl. You deserve to be happy. Right? Jesus is not calling us to service that's gonna always make us happy. Can I just be honest with you? I love the fact that God's called me to preach. I love pastoring. I, I really do. I, it is not a chore. Preaching God's word is not a chore. I love it. But not every day and every task and every situation am I happy, right? I mean, like, like, seriously, I'm not, I'm not being ugly about that. Happiness is an emotion like a roller coaster that can come and go. Guess what Jesus is saying? You are fulfilled if you do these things. His whole point is simply this in the context of service. When you and I follow his example, when we get to the point where we're not living for self, but we're living our life for the glory of God and the good of others, that brings a fulfillment that no selfish act ever will. Here's the question. Jesus said, basically, you will be fulfilled if you do these things. But here's a question for us today as a church. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe Jesus' words that we will be fulfilled if we're serving others? Do we really believe that we will be blessed and fulfilled if we're living our life for the glory of God instead of our own glory? Do we really believe that we will be fulfilled if we give ourselves in humble sacrifice and service for the glory of God and the good of others? Do we really believe that? That's what Jesus said. So the question then is this. If we really believe it, Are we just professing that with our mouth? Or are we really living that out with our life? Our service or lack thereof tells the truth about what we believe. My hope and prayer today is this, that we will look to Jesus and his kindness, his sacrifice, his mercy, his compassion. We will see his service and not just be like, wow, that's so cool he did that, how amazing. But we will look at it and say, Thank you, Jesus, for serving me in that way. Thank you, Jesus, for giving your life on the cross for my sins. Thank you, Jesus, for putting my needs even above your own. Thank you, Jesus, for being that servant. And in gratitude to him and in love for him and for his body, the church, our response will not only be, thank you, Jesus, for serving me, but also a thank you, Jesus, for allowing me to serve you. Let's pray together all over the building. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this day. I thank you that you're patient with us and that you're constantly working to make us more like yourself. (laughs) I thank you that serving you is not a bore and really is not even a chore. I thank you, Lord, for the fulfillment that you bring as we say yes to you and honor you. And I pray even now that we would say yes to you. I pray even now that we would know you as our Lord and Savior. I pray even now that we would follow your example. I pray that we would all humble ourselves, God, I pray that we would go against the lie of the world that says, if you live for yourself, you'll be happy. Lord, help us to understand that as we live for you, we will be fulfilled. I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast